Well, it's been good to be back here the last couple of weeks. It's been a, a crazy couple of weeks. Lots of different things going on. Some of you guys know I uh, lost my mom a few weeks ago. I had to fly to England spontaneously. No one wants to do that. Not easy, not pleasant. Uh, but I'm, I'm really, I'm so overjoyed to say that like even in the midst of all of that, God's been really good. He's been really gracious, and I've mentioned to a couple of people that every comfort and grace that God could have provided amidst it, he did. And so I'm thankful for that. And even amidst some of the less pleasant parts of funeral planning and everything else, my sister and my family got to enjoy some really sweet moments uh, and great moments together. One of them was looking through photo albums of our family uh, and looking through all the stories of years gone by and back when I had hair, which is so traumatic for me, I wanted to bring it for you to see as well. So uh, I got some pictures here of kind of different moments in my life I thought I would share with you real quick that we found in these photo albums. Here's one of me. This is, I know, look at it. He's so good looking, isn't he? No, <laughs> I know. I thought I was good looking at the time, but no girl did, so it was really unfortunate. But uh, so that's on the very far left side, that's my friend James Pounder. Uh, it was my best friend, first friend in, in the church, really. And he uh, taught me to play guitar and to lead worship and to sing to Jesus. A guy in the middle is a guy called Toby Toll. Uh, he's a guy from Waco, Texas, of all places. And he is really the guy that led me to the Lord. Uh, told me about Jesus and explained the, the message of the gospel to me. So many fun memories of being with him, walking with him, and the different ways that God used me in my life. I've got another one here. This is at my baptism. This, you can see the progression of hair. Do you see how thin it's getting? <laughs> I'm only like 17 years old here. It's terrible. Uh, but the guy there who's baptized me in the gray shed, just on the left again, is a guy called Jeff Elwin. Uh, he was a really great mentor to me in my younger years as a Christian. Uh, he was once a former soccer star, uh, and he decided to go into other things, go into business, and was a leader in this really small church. You can tell from that baptistry, it was teeny tiny church. And uh, he was just such an encouragement to me, loved me. He was one of the first guys who, when I decided I wanted to go to the States, encouraged me in that and uh, told me that he believed in me. Incredible guy. Uh, he's another one. That's, that's my family. That's my mom right there in the middle, my wonderful mom who I miss, uh, my sister in between us. Uh, and my brother-in-law there on the left, all the people in this picture, I couldn't, we would not have time for me to tell you the ways in which they have loved me and served me. That's Toby in the middle again there, the guy who led me to Christ. Uh, just, in, in when I see this picture, we were looking at that, so many memories of different ways in which God impacted me and encouraged me and loved me. Uh, and then I got one more just for fun, the greatest wedding picture of all time. Um, I'm very proud of this. This is me and my groomsmen on my wedding day. And... Uh, they, they love me so much, they agreed to this ridiculous shot. And I, of course, said, I have to be Superman. You have to give me the Superman shirt. But again, the, the two guys either side of me, is, um, I, I had two best men at my wedding because I could not choose between them. The guy in the Captain America one on the, on the right is a guy called Adam Amberg. He and his wife are missionaries now to Mauritius, uh, making an incredible impact over there, helping to lead a school over there. And on the left is my good friend Carl Walker in the Flash T-shirt. Uh, just an amazing guy. He's got quite the raw of, on him in that uh, picture, but uh, just so full of energy and love me and, and Janae through many different things. Uh, so, so grateful to him. And I could go on. I could show you all the albums. I could show you all the pictures, but love getting to see the faces and remembering the names and the stories of these people who had done so much in my life. And here at the end of Colossians, in Colossians 4, Paul's going to give us a little bit of a list of people that have impacted him and made a difference in his life. Men and women who he's walked alongside, who were partners with him in the work that God was doing. 
because Paul cares very deeply about community. He cares deeply about the community of the church, and he wants everybody to be aware of how important that community is. And so his final words in this letter that he's been writing to the Colossian church is to pull their attention to their role in the ministry of God. See, Paul understands that the church isn't built through him or any of the other apostles or any of the other particular leaders. It's built through the body. It's built through everyone playing their role, taking their part. And imagine with me what that would have been like for this little church, probably less than 100 people, probably smaller than us. They were meeting in different homes, in the homes of one guy that we know called Philemon, getting together in this city that was at one time very important, now not so much, kind of fallen by the wayside. And yet here they are getting a letter from Paul, who's naming their pastor, who's naming different members of the church, and is telling them, you're playing an incredible and important role in what God's doing, not only in your city, but in the cities around you, and in fact, in the nations. Paul wants them to get in their head, your lives matter, what you're doing matters, the way in which you are living out this gospel that you've received matters. And so he wants to leave them now with these three encouragements to help them and to help us know what it means to live out the ministry that God's given us, to, to keep moving in our own growth in faith and in, in helping the world to see this Jesus that Colossians has told us so much about. So we're gonna look at those three encouragements to continue in prayer, to walk in wisdom, and to fulfill the ministry. Let's talk about continuing in prayer. Now, uh, you guys know that I'm extremely athletic, probably the best athlete in the world. No. There was one brief window in my life, though, where I decided I would give sports a try. Uh, growing up in England, surprise, surprise, it was soccer, or football, as we call it, which makes far more sense than soccer, because you do actually use your feet. I don't know why we call American football football. But uh, I decided to get on this team, and I found myself in the position of goalie. Now, I now am comfortable admitting how much I hate soccer. I wasn't at the time. Soccer is the most boring game on earth. It is an hour and a half of guys running around the field, and they're totally fine in English soccer if nothing happens. Like, you can finish the game nil-nil, no one cares. You just wasted an hour and a half of your life, guys. I want to see that ball going in that net, right? So I'm finding myself in this game, nothing's happening, I'm getting bored, and my mind just goes elsewhere. I'm probably thinking about comic books or something ridiculously natty like that. And then all of a sudden, something changes. I feel a leather ball hit me square in the face at what felt like the speed of light. Every single part of my face became numb, and I fell to the ground. And I realized that one of the guys on the team, a guy called John Greenwell, big guy, had kicked that ball as hard as he could right in my face. I was not paying attention at all. I was not being watchful. That does not work out for you well in soccer, and not being watchful does not work out for you in your faith either. You've got to be paying attention to what's going on around you. You've got to see what's going on around you. And Paul wants the Colossian church to see what's happening around them, to see what's coming their way, to see how they can continue to walk in Christ faithfully. And so what he does is he charges them to do the only thing that you can do when you have blind spots. Continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Three qualities that Paul describes there in this prayer life of Christians, when he tells them to continue in prayer, he calls them to be persistent in prayer. 
He calls them to be watchful in prayer and he calls them to be thankful in prayer. See, our prayer lives are to be persistent. Too often in our lives as Christians, prayer is this kind of emergency ripcord that we pull in particular moments and seasons. It's not something that we keep ourselves going in. And yet the Bible challenges us to pray consistently. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. See, prayer for Christians is not something that we should only use in emergencies or in particular seasons. It is something that we should be in every day. It's like food. I would never wake up and think by default, I'm not going to eat anything today, except for very rare occasions. It would be inbuilt into me. I have meals every day because my body needs that nutrition because I've got to keep myself going. And so it is with prayer. We should wake up as Christians every day and say, I want to be persistent in my prayer life. I want to be as consistent with praying as I am with eating and even breathing. When we talk about growing in our faith a lot at Chapel Street, really our growth in faith is directly related to our persistency in prayer. And so I'd ask you this morning to evaluate yourself. How persistent are you in your prayer? How consistent are you in your prayer? Second thing that Paul says is to pray watchfully. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Reminds me of another letter in 1 Peter, chapter five, where Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour See, the other reason we need to be so serious about prayer and be persistent in it is because every single one of us is operating with a certain level of blindness. We have blind spots in our life. There are things hidden in our hearts and in the circumstances of our life that we won't see unless we're inviting God to show them to us. Tim Keller says this, he says, you will never see your own heart and especially your worst faults except through prayer. You will live in denial. You will have too high or too low or too simplistic a view of things based on what you want to believe. Tim Keller is saying that prayer is essential to us seeing rightly, seeing ourselves and seeing the world. Because prayer is first and foremost an active acknowledgement that you can't lead yourself. Prayer is, is getting before God and saying, I can't lead me. I don't see everything. I don't know everything. I don't understand anything. But God, you do. And so you're the one that I can put my trust in. You're the one that I can put my confidence in. And so I'm going to seek you. I'm going to ask you to show me what you see. We pray watchfully because we want God to make us more aware of what's in our own hearts and what's going on in the world around us. The last thing he encourages them to do when he talks about continuing prayer is to be thankful. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If we go back to that verse I mentioned a moment ago, 1 Thessalonians 5, we, we all know of 17, pray without ceasing. It's a pretty common verse, but it's important to follow what comes afterwards. Pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's easy for us to give thanks when things are going really well. It's harder when they aren't. It's also easy for us to pay attention to what we don't have instead of what we do. I challenge you this week 
to work hard to thank God in all circumstances. I know in this room, there's, we've just sang about this, we've talked about this. There's a variety of circumstances in our life right now. And some of you, understandably, feel like there's not much to be thankful for. So what I want you to, I challenge you to do is to just take a piece of paper every day and start your day by writing three things that you're thankful for. Three things that God brings to mind that you can be thankful for. And if nothing else, I want you, even in that darkest place, in that place where you feel most empty and feel like there's just not that much to be thankful for, I want you to, to look at Jesus' face and remind yourself you can be thankful that he loves you and he won't leave. He is faithful to you. He's devoted to you. He will lay himself down for you again and again and again. And perhaps, if God grants you the grace, you might even be able to reach a place like Paul where you can actually thank him for the things that are painful in your life. That seems really bizarre, doesn't it? You know, Paul's writing this very letter from a prison cell. He's been arrested for his faith. It's probably not a nice prison cell. We're talking about Rome back in the day under a dictator who did not like Christians. Things probably weren't great for him. And so what might you expect Paul to ask the Colossians to pray for him? Please pray that God gets me out of this cell real soon. It's horrible. Please ask that they would understand that I'm innocent here, that I'm just wanting to share the gospel. Let this come to an end. Paul doesn't pray for any of those things. He doesn't even give a hint that he wants to be out of that prison cell. Instead, what Paul does is he prays, or he asks the Colossians to pray for him that God would use his prison cell. That God would use his time in suffering and in chains to make an impact. That is the prayer of someone who has learned what it means to be thankful in all circumstances. Because Paul has moved from being someone who's seeing his suffering as meaningless to actually seeing it as a means of grace in his life through which God can do great things. It's his suffering that has brought Paul closer to God, to knowing his great love for him and his love for other people. I mean, think about who the people that Paul is praying uh, that he might get the chance to share the gospel with. His jailers, his persecutors. He's telling the church, these guys who are causing me suffering, can you pray that I would be able to encourage them and serve them? Imagine what it would be like to get that letter. We should be praying persistently, watchfully, and thankfully. But we should also be walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom. I caught a video a few months back of a guy who had somehow managed to get himself a first-class ticket on an Emirates flight to Dubai. So it's a really, really long flight, huge airplanes. And I was shocked at what this guy revealed about this, uh, this cabin on the plane. And he was gracious enough. He videoed the whole experience because he wanted to share with us what this opportunity was like, what this moment was like. So they had a shower on board the airplane that you could use at any time. You book, book well, I should say, you should, you've got to book your slot in the shower you can go shower while you fly in. You're, you have your own kind of little cabin, right? It's not just a seat in a row. You can close a door, which sounds like heaven to me on an airplane. You have all this classy food. There. You can turn the lights out in your cabin. Your chair fully reclines. I mean, it's everything. So many different great things. And this guy didn't want to miss a single moment of it. He wanted to squeeze everything out of it that he could. And he wanted to share that with those who could hear about it. 
Well, really, Paul's charge to the Colossian churches, he wants us to be a people who squeeze the most out of this incredible moment we have to share Christ with the world. He wants us to know what a blessing it is to have been invited into what God's doing in the world, and he wants us to seize that moment. This is what he says. He says in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Making the best use of time. That's such a great phrase. And he's not really talking about time as in kind of your whole life. It's not a general sense of time. It's a very specific one. What Paul wants them to see is the the moments that God gives them. These little windows that they have into sharing Christ with other people. He says, make the best use of your moments. This is maybe a good translation. Now I can think about times when I've not used my moments well. Maybe when I've behaved in a way or acted in a way that I know the world is watching and seeing, okay, that's a follower of Jesus. I'm discouraged by that. I'm thinking about times when people have maybe been talking to me and they've given me a perfect window to talk to them about Jesus. Say, hey, what do you do for a living? It's like the ultimate in, right? You're a pastor. You're like, oh, now I have to tell them about Jesus. And sometimes I fail even there because I get nervous or I get anxious or I get distracted. I could give you a long list of moments that I've not used well. And yet God, by his grace, is merciful and forgiving and he is constantly inviting us again, no matter how many times we failed, to make the best use of our moments to think about how we can walk in wisdom. And so he gives us this outline to help us walk in wisdom and use our moments. He tells us to move toward. He tells us to speak with grace and he tells us to consider each person. First, he tells us to move toward. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Jesus has always moved towards people. Even his incarnation is him showing us that God wants to move towards people most of whom, in fact all of whom, if we're being honest, don't want him. And yet he moved towards them in grace. Let me ask you, do you move towards people in your life or do you withdraw? Do you, especially if you're a Christian, do you move towards those who don't know Christ yet? Are you willing to get to know your neighbor that has that political sign that you just don't like looking at? Are you willing to invite them over for dinner? to serve them, to love them, to care for them, to make sure that they know if something goes wrong in their life, you will be there. That's what walking in wisdom is. It's moving towards people. I think most of the time now we've become conditioned as a culture to avoid people who are different than us. Avoid people especially who disagree with our worldview. But in Matthew 5, Jesus says this, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Put it on a stand so that it can give light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Sometimes we don't even have to leave church to do this. This is not some call to go to some far off nation to move towards people. I get a list every week as a pastor if anybody's new has signed up at church, if they've signed up for an event or a program, and we just kind of try and keep ourselves informed as pastors is who are our guests because we want to move towards them. So I know that at every campus at Chapel Street, every week, there is probably a guest, probably someone new. 
And so the call for us who call Chapel Street our home, for those who call our Christians, is when those people show up, are we ready to move towards them? So easy to come to church, to sit in the seat, to listen to worship and the sermon, and then head out straight afterwards and never move towards the new faces in our midst. And maybe if you're a new person, you're saying, well, I don't want people to move towards me. I'm not excited about the idea. But let me encourage you, if you are a guest with us, the reason we want to move towards you is because you matter. You're not just a face in a seat to us. You're a life that God values deeply. And we want to be a church that sees you and loves you and serves you. And so for all of us, I want to challenge us as a church to renew our commitment to be a church that moves towards people in our midst to get lunch with each other, to serve one another, to check in, to get to know the stories around us, to not just be in the seat and then leave, but to be present and moving towards. Second thing that Paul tells us to do when we walk in wisdom is speak graciously. So important for our culture where the truth is we're not often speaking with grace, and I do mean that about Christians, unfortunately. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ sometimes have the worst words coming out of our mouth so angry and yet Paul says be gracious let your speech be seasoned with salt he doesn't say hey give them your best zinger make sure that you've got all your ready lines so that you can show them how foolish they are he says speak graciously with them speak graciously what does that mean for you to speak graciously what do you think that might look like for you to speak graciously could look at social media, which is flooded with angry Christians who like to mock those who disagree with them, like to complain about the ways in which the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. Be one of those who stand in the gap and speak with grace and gentleness and encouragement. We are a people of good news, right? We, we proclaim what? The gospel, which means what? Good news. And so Christians should be people who have good news on our lips at all times, not bad news, There's plenty of bad news in the world and we're the people who have the very best of news. So we should speak that. It is so unchristian and antithetical to the calling on our lives to be a people who do not speak with grace. In 1 Peter, we're told by a man who was known for having a mouth that would sometimes run too quickly, tells us, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. How tragic it is that the shame on many of our shoulders is not because we've tried to do good, but because we have not represented Christ well with our words. Make sure that if you do experience shame, it's not for that. We normally people who argue people into the Lord and have the right theology and win arguments, but we lose people. Last thing I want to mention here is Paul tells us to walk in wisdom by considering each person. There's a great uh, letter in the New Testament called Jude, really short, just one chapter. And in that letter, Jude says this. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy with fear. What's Jude saying? He's saying, think about who you're talking to because different people are going through different things and they need different things. 
He's not saying that we change the message of Jesus and twist it out of shape depending on who we're talking to. We're just saying, think about how it specifically might apply to the person in front of you. Get to know them. Know their story so that when you tell them about Jesus, you can make sure you're telling them what about Jesus they specifically need. If it's someone who's struggling with pain and loss, maybe they need to hear of the comfort of the Lord. If it's someone who's fixated on their own success and and, uh, dominated by a need to do more, maybe they need to hear about the rest that's available in Christ who has been all the success they will ever need. We think through the gospel and we think through the person. And when we don't do that, we're not making the best use of the moment. When people are just objectives to us, when they are just numbers, when we're just trying to get someone else in the seat, we're not using the moment well. Christ never communicated that way. He always saw who he was speaking to. When there was tax collectors and prostitutes and Pharisees and all varieties of people, he would always be present with the person in front of them. And he would know their story. And often what would draw them to them the most is that he would see their story. And friends, if we would see the stories of people around us, if we would consider each person, we'd be so much more effective in proclaiming good news because we wouldn't just be pushing a message, we'd be bringing something to people, real people. There's a purpose to our continuing in prayer and walking in wisdom, and it's to fulfill the ministry that God's given us. It's to fulfill the ministry. This is where Paul starts unpacking all those names I mentioned earlier. I just want to read through this uh, briefly. It'll take a little bit of time, but it's just, it's so good. This is what he says. He says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. That's a long section, and maybe you have read your Bible many times and come across little sections of Scripture like that that you just kind of accelerate over because you see a lot of names and you're not really sure what that has to do with you. But this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. This is Paul honoring and recognizing everyone who's working beside him. Because again, he knows the church isn't being built off him and what he's doing. It's being built off what God is doing throughout everyone in the body. He lists 10 different people in that list. And it is so diverse. You've got church planners, writers, historians, people who are hosting groups in their homes. 
You've got prisoners, missionaries, doctors. And there's even some names that you don't expect in there. And I want to highlight just one because we don't really have time for them all, though I would love to do that. And the one I want to highlight to you is a guy called Onesimus. Onesimus, he's, he's the second person that Paul mentions. And he is someone that he's sending with a guy called Tychicus. He's sending both of these men back to the church in Colossae with this letter and with, uh, with other encouragements. We can learn more about Onesimus from another letter in the Bible called Philemon. And if you don't know about Philemon, Philemon was a leader in the church in Colossae. It's thought that he was hosting the church in his own home uh, with his wife, Aphia. Uh, and we learn in that letter that Onesimus was once a servant of Philemon. And what happened while the church was meeting in Philemon's house is that Onesimus stole from Philemon. He essentially stole from the collection plate at the church and then he ran, he fled. And Onesimus, we're told, travels all the way to Rome where by chance he would run into the apostle Paul who was in Rome. Paul preaches the gospel to him. He shares the message of Christ with Onesimus. Onesimus gives his life to Christ So now he's in a real situation because he stole from a church, came to Rome, and now he's just become a Christian. And what Paul says is, go back to that church. Go back to Colossae, Onesimus. Can you imagine how you would feel if you were Onesimus, being told to go back to the church you just robbed? And so Paul writes this letter to go with Onesimus. Probably the letter of the Colossians and maybe even the letter of Philemon together. So think about that. He is mentioning this guy, this guy who stole from a, a church leader who fled is now his name is appearing in a list of faithful men in the church who are contributing to what God is doing. And in fact, this is what he says about Onesimus. If we go back to that list, he says, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, because he was, will tell you of everything that has taken place. So Onesimus is even being included in the group of people who are gonna get to to tell the story of Christ. You know what this says to me? This says to me, no matter what your story is, how bad it is, how many mistakes you've made, in God's kingdom, you're of value in his mission. You matter in his mission. There are so many of us who fail to fulfill the ministry that God's given us because we feel we're not smart enough, we're not good enough, we're not put together enough. Onesimus was none of those things. He was a new Christian who had a lot of junk in his life and yet God says, you're gonna be of value. Go back to Colossae and encourage the church there because that church needs you and you need them. And so if you're in this place this morning and you're wondering, well, I don't have a ministry, Andrew. I've got nothing to fulfill. Respectfully, you're wrong. If you're in Christ, you do have a ministry. You matter to him. You are valuable to him. And if we've learned anything about Jesus from reading the letter of Colossians, this one who holds all things together, there is nothing in your life that could prevent him from using you. Nothing. You don't need to be anything for him because he was everything for you. We don't lose heart in fulfilling our ministry because we see who Jesus is. We see the stories that he writes. I want you to understand ministry is not exclusive to those who hold the title of pastor. And this is best demonstrated when we get right to the end of Colossians 4 and this beautiful line where Paul says this. He says, say to our kippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. 
Tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry he's received. Paul's charge is don't just believe the message, Archippus. Don't just be amongst the church. Lead in the church. Fulfill your ministry. Take up your role with all your heart, with all your soul, and have confidence that God wants to use you. I could say that same thing about us this morning. I could look in you in your faces. I could see you. I could say, Mike, fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Rich, fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Bob, fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Could just keep going around the room. Greg, fulfill your ministry in the Lord, brother. Chris, fulfill your ministry in the Lord. Keep going with that rooted group. Keep serving people, keep encouraging them. Every one of you matter in the kingdom that God is building here through this church in this church, in our hearts. Every one of you have received a ministry from him. I wanna leave you with this encouragement from 2 Corinthians. Paul says to the church there in Corinth, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Right into chapter four from that. Therefore, Having this ministry, this ministry of beholding the Lord and being transformed by the Lord, we don't lose heart. You can fulfill your ministry in the Lord because you have beheld him and that's all that's required is for you to behold him, to know him and to go help someone else behold him too. And we learn from this list, you don't need to be a pastor like Paul or Epaphras was. You can be someone like Nympha who was hosting a group in her home. You can be someone like Onesimus whose story was broken and filled with all different things and yet God was using to share good news. You could be someone like Aristarchus who was in a prison cell with Paul seemingly of no use to many people at all and yet his name was being mentioned as one who's encouraging the churches. You have beheld him, now go help others behold him. Let me close by just saying if you received this letter, who would be on your list? Who would you write down as those that have impacted you? But more importantly, whose letter would your name be on? Who would be able to write in their letter that you have been a faithful servant, a beloved brother, someone who's cared for them and encouraged them and helped the kingdom of God grow? Is it your neighbor whose life's crumbling because of different things going on? Is it your coworker who's burdened Is it your child who's lost in the chaos of a busy, busy world? You are God's extension of his grace to them. We say at this church, go and make an impact where you are. Because God has given you and his son Jesus a ministry to fulfill, to behold him and to help others behold him. So go. We call this series The Fullness of God. And dear friends, church, The fullness of God is for you, he is with you, and the fullness of God is in you by Christ Jesus. And so go and fulfill the ministry that you have received in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry that you've given us. So many of us are so keenly aware of how little we have to offer you, and yet, Lord, you ask nothing from us other than to come and to know you, to walk beside you, Lord. 
God, we are grateful that you have loved us with every part of your heart, that you have given your son for us. Lord, help us again this morning as we finish out this letter to behold you with unveiled faces, to be transformed, to be like you, and to fulfill the ministry that you've given us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I want to thank you again for worshiping with us. It is good to be together as a church family. And as always, if there's any way we can be praying for you, serving you, don't be shy. We want to move towards constantly. So uh, please let us know. We have a prayer team available. You can pray in our prayer room. We'd love to pray with you if you need that. Uh, But now let me offer this benediction. uh, And please go in the Lord's peace. Here it is. Lord, may we go today continuing in prayer, walking in wisdom, and fulfilling the ministry that you have given us. Lord, help us to behold your face and help us to walk in faith that you want others to see you too. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.